Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you're listening to Strongly Connected Components, episode 18, brought to you by AcmeScience.com. On this week's episode, I am joined by Peter Rowlett from the Institute of Mathematics and its Applications, as well as the University of Nottingham. And we talk about how he finds his interview guests, what exactly the Institute for Mathematics and its Applications is. He does some plugging and also tries his best to interview me. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Strongly Connected Components. I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and with me today I have Peter Rowlett, the uh, University Liaison Officer for the Institute of Mathematics and its Applications, as well as the Technology Enhanced Learning Officer in the School of Mathematical Sciences at the University of Nottingham. Sorry uh, for obviously just reading off your website there. <laughs> uh, hello. Yes, my... my um head of school at Nottingham is very keen that it's technology hyphen enhanced hyphen learning and not that I'm a learning officer who is technology enhanced like a <laughs> cyborg <laughs> well I, I would have to say that uh, that that would uh, I'm sure actually bring a lot more students to your classes <laughs> yes be the the first cyborg teacher in the world actually I, <laughs> I'd be I'd be quite impressed yes okay uh, now another thing uh, that uh, my guest does is he happens to run a, uh, I would want to say rival uh, podcast, <laughs> but I, I would encourage everyone to go out and download it because it is quite good, uh, called Travels in a Mathematical World. Yes. Now, if we can just uh, get straight into this, uh, the first thing that I read that you are is a university liaison for a group called the Institute of Mathematics and its Applications. Yeah. Now, if you could... Uh, most of my listeners are over here in the States. I should point out, obviously, that through the wonders of modern technology, you are across the world from me right now. Uh, and could you, by any chance, explain what the Institute of Mathematics and its applications is for those who have, quite honestly, never heard of it? Yes. Well, so the Institute of Mathematics and its applications is a professional and learner society uh, for mathematics and its applications uh, in the UK. Actually, I think we have... 10% of members are outside of the UK, so we will have some in America, but um, certainly not as many as, as in the UK. So my job no, with the... Oh, sorry. Go, on. go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, yeah. my job with the IMA is um, really about getting... You, you said your listeners may not be as aware of it. This is also true of um, certainly students in the UK. <laughs> so part of my job is um, engaging with, my, with university students. Um, so mostly this involves traveling around and giving talks, but one of the things it also involves is is this podcast, uh, Travels in a Mathematical World. Now, Travels in a Mathematical World as, uh, is similar in some ways to what I do here. You do uh, interview uh, mathematicians uh, quite often, but uh, you also give math news and math history episodes. Uh, what was the... Uh, kind of thinking behind uh, creating more than just a one-faceted show? Well, oh, I'm not sure. So I, so I decided that doing what I do, um, I'm going to be traveling around the country quite a lot. I'm going to meet a lot of people, and some of them uh, are going to be interesting mathematicians. So I, 
I am interested in the difference between what I do and what what you do because, for example, how how do you find people to interview? I uh, do exactly what I did with you. I just cold email a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So so what I do is quite often I just happen to meet someone and say they start sounding interesting. So I say, oh, would you talk to me for this podcast that I do? So quite often it's sprung on people. So um, people aren't often very aware that I'm going to talk to them, say, five minutes before I do so. Um, <laughs> and it's very opportunistic. I'm, I'm really interested in, in the UK, there's a sort of list of people who, who are really good at communicating mathematics, and, and everybody sort of knows this. But I'm, I'm quite interested in the sort of ordinary people, ordinary lecturers, ordinary people who work using mathematics uh, in what they do. And who have an interesting story to tell, but don't don't often get to tell it. That's sort of where I'm where I'm coming from with this. But also, I'm uh, the other thing I wanted to ask is how do you prepare? Because I don't know. I've, I've listened to a few of your your podcasts. I don't know how aware how aware listeners will be that you and I haven't spoken before. Uh, and in fact, we've exchanged a couple of emails, but we haven't. There's no list of prepared questions or anything like that. So presumably, you've been on on my website and on Google uh, trying to think of things to ask. Have you? Uh, yeah, that's that's essentially uh, what I do. I mean, I've I've known about you for quite a while now because I think I started listening to Travels in a Mathematical World uh, right about when the third episode came out. Right, yeah. And so it's just yeah, just through Google, I do a lot of searching through uh, websites and uh, things like that. And I and I'm not of the belief that prepared questions uh, tend to be an effective way of actually getting information. Yeah, it gives you a lot of boilerplate. Sure. So I'm um I'm as I say I don't know that I'm going to be interviewing people just before I do. I mean occasionally I go to a university and I send an email ahead saying if anyone wants to meet me then then we can do. Um, but so I usually don't know the person who I've who I'm talking to very well. And often I say to them. Well, basically, my job with the IMA is engaging with university students, and a lot of university students in mathematics uh, don't know what they want to do when they graduate. Uh, I don't know if that's true where you are as well. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm in graduate school yes. uh, right now myself for mathematics, and the general talk around is, so uh, what are you gonna do with this degree? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I uh, I think this is really interesting because I I. Mathematics is one of the most useful degrees to do. Um, yeah. There's an awful lot of data about all these different areas that mathematicians go into and all this sort of thing. But there aren't many jobs that are called mathematician. So you end up in this state where students think that they they don't have many options. Or I meet a lot of students who, I mean, I mean two routes are people going to finance and people going to teaching. And these are, these are fantastic things for people to do. Uh, but they aren't for everybody. And I meet a lot of students who say to me, I really have taken the wrong degree because I don't want to go into teaching and I don't want to go into finance. Whatever will I do, I think I might quit. And it's just nonsense because they haven't realized all of the, the sort of science and engineering and all the other businessy things that you can do and just this whole massive range of, of different areas they can go into. Um, so what I wanted to do with the, um, with the podcast in particular was, was to give some, a lot of different examples of different things that people could do. Uh, but it isn't very well planned, and it isn't very well <laughs> prepared. But so I say to people who I'm interviewing, I say I say that this is the aim of the thing, and I ask them to tell me what they do as though they were speaking to a, an undergraduate student. And actually, usually, I I don't ask many questions, or sometimes I don't ask any questions. And if I do, I quite often chop out what I've said. Um, so it's so it's like them telling a story. 
so I'm, I'm kind of interested in that as a difference because yours is definitely an interview and I, I'm definitely aware that you're going to interview me um, you know, <laughs> a couple of weeks beforehand. And I, I think that's an interesting um, difference in, in sort of procedure. Um, I'm sure it is, and it does end up with uh, very different results, whereas I tend to try to steer the conversation sure. at least a bit. I mean, I, I'm totally fine with people going off on tangents that I never expected. Uh, yours does tend to be a lot more at least free-flowing uh, yeah. in the idea that it, it is completely controlled many ways or many times by the uh, interviewee instead of the interviewer. Yes, yes, very much. Okay, well, uh, since I am actually the interviewer and I am <laughs> uh, steering this, I, I was I wanted to talk a little bit uh, also about another uh, media project that you've been doing, at least internet media project, and that's the history of maths and X. Sure. Yeah, I've realized that I I didn't answer your previous question, did I? But you, you asked why do history and news as well? Oh. Oh, so I, I, I completely forgot about yeah. that. You just, you <laughs> so, completely so, derailed me there. Yes. <laughs> so, so I have this this opportunity to talk to mathematicians, but initially I was uncertain how many I would talk to and how many people would be willing. And I started my job. I have a steering group at the IMA, and they would oh, they were also not quite sure how this would work and how how um, you know how likely it would be that I would get enough content. So, so one thing that I did was I met somebody called Nolan Bradshaw at the University of Greenwich who. Um, is interested in maths history, and she agreed to record six biographies of mathematicians. So this is brilliant because I now have one episode a month for the first six months <laughs> of the podcast. Um, and the other thing I did was I met uh, Sarah Shepherd, who edits a magazine called I Squared, and um, she agreed to meet me again once a month, and we'd talk over some some maths news that's happened in that month. Um, so that 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 was interesting because that's very different from the other episodes because that really is me and Sarah sat in a room trying to talk to one another, and we, I think the first one that we did we we sort of got into the room and chatted about what we'd found and then we started recording and just became incredibly wooden, and we realised <laughs> that the thing to do was to to press record as soon as we get in the room and not do the bit where we've talked it all through already because that makes it seem so much less natural I suppose. Um, so Nolan did me six math history episodes, and then I think she did a couple more after that. But she has a PhD to do, so she was she was she was busy with what she was doing. So I I I'm quite interested in the history of my subject. When I was at university, I took a course on um, I think it was called mathematics and society. It was a lot of it was mathematics history, and I just took that because I was really interested in finding out more about about the history of the subject. I think that's a really interesting thing to be interested in in your own history, if you like. And I, um, so I kind of had this opportunity that I, I was, I suppose, sort of committed to a monthly hit mass history episode, which I no longer had coming in. Um, and I, I wanted to get into writing articles in mathematics. And I knew that Sarah, it's uh, Sarah Shepard, it's this I squared magazine. So I. I sort of offered to Sarah that I might write a math history article each time she has an issue and that I would give a talk based on that article which would be videoed and do a little extra bit of content that would go on the um, Travels in the Mathematical World podcast, which sounds all a bit ridiculously 
much to do and <laughs> in some ways it is but i uh, i just i just finished writing one today actually I, I at least i think i've finished it um i might read it over tomorrow and, and edit it slightly but sarah's actually at now the 12th episode of i uh, the 12th issue of i squared uh, and has decided to finish that because she's she's coming into the final year of her phd so she's she's got that to concentrate on so i'll have written three um Assuming that this one is all right for publication, I suppose. Um, and I think it's really interesting because I've not really, I've, I've not written a lot of popular maths before, so that's been really interesting. I give a lot of talks for the IMA, um, but it's it's sort of a different thing to be videoed giving a talk. And I, I mean, you've you've touched upon the other part of my uh, life, if you like, is the technology enhanced learning side of things, um, e-learning or what have you. And so I have, I've given two of these already, and the first one. We have a room at Nottingham University where you can push a button and it records the lecture for you, uh, which sounds brilliant, but it isn't. I don't think the results are quite as good as you would hope. Um, so the first talk that I recorded, I recorded using this system with the, the push button recording. The second one, we have a lecturer at Nottingham who is interested in recording his own lectures, and he's developed a sort of a system with a, a tablet PC, and he writes on the tablet PC, and it records the screen and it records the audio and now he has a webcam and it records him as well in the corner of the screen and all this so i borrowed his kit for my second talk and i recorded it using that uh, so that was very interesting the third one i'm going to well i've just written the article it'll come out next month or something and i'll want to record a video to go with it now the the i don't know how it works in america but here we have an academic year from september to september uh do you have that i in a, in a way, uh, for my university, it starts late August, and then there's two semesters. One ends in May, and then we have uh, three short, uh, condensed summer sessions that run until August. Okay, okay. So for for undergraduates here, we have generally sort of late September until Christmas, and then January, well, January, February until this time of year. The students are going to start their exams next week, and then they go on a summer break. So although I'd like to give a talk and record it, there won't be anybody any students to listen to it. So I'm, I'm interested to see what I'm going to do with the third episode. I think it might be a bit more um, sort of me in a room talking to a camera, which is a different thing again. And I'm really interested in trying out different ways of, of doing this, I suppose. Um, and at the same time, Nottingham has an open educational resources project. Um, so open educational resources is uh, sort of recording content and putting it online or putting... Um, it doesn't have to be video, I don't think. It can be anything. But the the pioneer of this was MIT in America um, who have an open courseware website yeah yeah um, so they wanted stuff for this they have a they have a YouTube channel that they want talks for so I I sort of agreed to to do these couple of videos um, and so I've called this history of maths and X because the idea is that each one is the history of maths and some other topic X uh, so the first one I did cryptography um, and I did substitution ciphers from ancient sort of up to the Renaissance uh, in Europe. And and I suppose the way I see it, there are kind of three aspects to history of cryptography. There's, there's cryptography as done by hand using substitution ciphers. And then when that fails, there's people sort of get into mechanized cryptography. And then that gets cracked kind of using... In, well, it's sort of tied up in the early development of computers. And then suddenly we have computers doing cryptography so i've told the first part of that story i suppose and then the second one i gave was on um it was called shape of the cosmos and was about um developments of models of the solar system 
um, again, from the, the sort of ancient Greek model with the Earth at the centre and the planets going out from there and, and six known planets and so forth, to um, more modern versions, they actually went up to Newton um, and his, his work on gravity. Uh, and again, I, I sort of feel like that's gravity as told from the cosmos point of view. I think there's another story of gravity which has uh, Galileo dropping things and rolling balls down slopes and that sort of thing. Um, so again, I feel like I told part of that story and, and, and left the other part maybe for another time. This, this time, what I've written, what I finished writing today is uh, probability. Um, again, I just decided this would be a, a sort of interesting topic. Um, unfortunately, there was an article, I didn't realize there was an article in I-squared on history of statistics. Um, oh. Sarah sent this to me and said, Oh, that's lovely. Please do probability, but please can you avoid the topics in this article? And I said, oh, fine. Yes, fine. Anyway, so the deadline's approached and I've started writing the thing and much of early probability is tied up in, the, in this article. <laughs> so I've, I've been careful to dodge certain areas that were most histories of probability involve a few different things that were, that were already included in this other article. So I've, I've gone down a perhaps a slightly different route. I don't know, but we'll see anyway. So, so this will hopefully get published and turned into a talk and will appear on that website. Uh, in due course, but no, it's all about. I, I'm just really interested in the history of the subject, and I think I think it does people well to be to be interested in that. Yeah. Now I'm gonna latch on to something that was uh, really early in your answer, yeah. uh, and that was uh, when you're t- still talking about travels in the mathematical world. You mentioned you weren't entirely uh, sure that you would be able to get a lot of guests uh, for your show. When you approach mathematicians and ask them to, uh, you know, give a short interview for one of, uh, or for your podcast, mm. what is the typical response? Like, are they generally open to being recorded and talking about it? Or do you have a lot of people saying, uh, I'll talk to you, but I don't want it going down, uh, recorded? I, a lot of people I think are perfectly keen. I tend to choose people who are already so I quite often go to universities and I'm giving a talk and before the talk someone will take me for a cup of tea and you know we're having a chat and this person's being interesting and I, I generally say something like, oh, that's really interesting, would you say it and let me record it? And in which case I think they're probably quite flattered and don't really have time to think and tend to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I find if I ask people in advance they tend to say no. I find that very odd. But if I send an email around in advance it's, it's often quite hard to get people to, to agree to meet you if you give them a lot of time to think about it um, and also I say to people that you know if they aren't happy with the recording we can just delete it that's not a problem that um, so I think people are more willing on that basis because they feel like they they can sort of get out of it if they find that they don't have anything to say in the middle of it yeah um, but no people seem to be quite willing I've, I have had somebody there was a chap who told me uh, when, when I first started working for the IMA I, um, I met this guy who's a mathematician who we went to the pub and we had lunch and he um I don't know, perhaps with a beer inside him, um, was telling me all sorts of things about um, chaff and detecting aeroplanes with radar and this sort of thing. And he, he worked for the Ministry of Defence in the UK government in this country. And at the end of it, I said, this is really good. Could, I, could, I, could we go somewhere quieter and I'll record you saying this, you know, telling this story? And he sort of paused and said, I'm pretty sure what I've told you isn't classified. <laughs> but I wouldn't want to be recorded saying it. <laughs> and it seems that he would have to get all sorts of permissions, and, and he just wasn't comfortable in doing it. So I have had people say no, um, even though they're quite interesting people. <laughs> I, I recently was talking to uh, a guest that you've had uh, previously, uh, Matt Parker. Yes, I listened to that this afternoon, actually. 
Uh, and as when I was talking to him, uh, it, uh, the conversation came up of a little bit of the difference in public perception about mathematics and as well as uh, sciences uh, in the United States and in the United Kingdom. Yeah. Now, uh, do you feel that there is a little bit more public acceptance of uh, math or, as you call it, maths uh, <laughs> on your side of the Atlantic? Yes, uh, maths, because there's an S on the end, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about this. You, you, you wouldn't abbreviate bicycles to bike. You would say bikes. Do you have bike in America? I, I don't know if we're getting the lingo right, but I, I feel like there should be an S anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I was quite surprised when that came up, actually. I, I was just listening to that episode, and, and I wasn't aware that we had a very good view of mathematics and public perception. There is a lot of work goes on. There's a lot of really good people doing doing bits and pieces, but there is a lot to be done, I think. Um, I think a lot of, there seems to be a lot of, a lot of online attention going into maths and science of late, which is really, you know, very nice to see. I don't know how it is in America, um, to, to sort of compare. But I was quite surprised to hear you saying, uh, to Matt, oh, it seems to be really good for, um, public awareness of mathematics in the UK. And I was thinking, goodness, is it? But <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it just seems, uh, whenever I'm, whenever I'm going online and looking at, you know, people talking about math, and it seems like half the mathematicians I follow on Twitter are from the same, just the single community of mathematicians in England. And all the lecture videos and things I find are always from some public lecture in like London. It's always, uh, DeSoitoy or Gowers or Singh. Yeah. Uh, and it's very rarely someone like Terence Dow. Uh, it is every once in a while. And the only one I can think of that is actually does it quite often over here is Steven Strogatz. Right. Okay. Uh, and, like in New York, there never seems to be a public lecture on mathematics. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this certainly does happen in 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 the UK. I don't know how mainstream it is, I suppose, but it does happen. It does get recorded. I mean, Marcus has a uh, Marcus Zotto has a public engagement in, with science role uh, funded through Oxford University. Um, I think he has a professorship. Um, is it the Simone professorship for the public understanding of science or something like that i can't quite remember yeah. the name but no i mean there is there is certainly a lot going on but i think it's a bit niche i think it probably looks more visible online than it does perhaps on the ground okay uh, but i'm involved i'm uh, there's a couple of events coming up actually that i'm there's a there's an ima conference called how to talk maths in public which I, i'm going to which i'm quite pleased to be going to because i don't I, I don't think it was right for me to go as an ima employee because my job there is engaging with university students and this isn't aimed at university students. So I, I applied as a delegate and um, I'm being allowed to go, which is quite nice. And so there they have a few people who are working in, in mass promotion, in sort of public engagement. They're going to come along and do workshops and talks and things like that. So I think that'll be really fun because I, I do feel quite like I'm playing at it. It'd be quite nice to go along and see what, what other people are doing and perhaps learn how to do it properly. I don't know. <laughs> and the other thing is I think maths, uh, Matt talked about as well was um, maths jam. Yes. Um, yes. Which I keep putting into Google as Math Jam, so perhaps I'm catching this lack of an S problem. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really exciting because that's I think that's inspired by Gathering for Ghana because you have that. Yeah. Uh, is that right? Have I said that right? So, yeah. Um, I was on the website yesterday, I think, and they mentioned the gathering. Yes. So from my point of view, that's an amazing thing to happen, and we're just trying our first tentative steps in that direction. So I, I think it might be a grass is always greener. 
situation. <laughs> but no, I've just, I've just sort of just found out about that quite recently, and I think I might go to that as well. So uh, that sounds like it'd be really fun. It says on the website, it says like-minded, self-confessed maths enthusiasts to get together and share stuff they like. <laughs> it seems to be coming from a nice place. So I think there is, there is definitely stuff going on. Um, and I mean, even outside of London, I'm, I'm, I'm on the local branch because as well as working for the Institute of Maths and its applications, I'm also a member of, of that organization. So I, I think I joined as a member about four years before I started working for them. And I, I'm on the branch committee for the East Midlands branch of the IMA. Um, and one thing they do is, well, most of what they do is organize talks. And I seem to have got myself in a situation where I've, I've invited the speakers for the next three talks, which is, unusual <laughs> there are about eight talks a year <laughs> but next week actually we're having a chap called chris bird who's who's very good at mass promotion um come and give a talk which he's called maths in and out of the zoo uh, and he hasn't provided an abstract for that so i'm quite interested to see what that's going to be about <laughs> and then next month there's a chap called edmund harris who i know who he has a, an outreach role at leicester university uh so edmund's a really good chap i, I just met him recently um and he's, he's, his research is in uh, puzzles and tiling, uh, sorry, in tiling patterns. And he's giving a talk called Puzzles, Tiles, and the Limits of Mathematics. So that'll be interesting. And then we take a summer break. And at the end, at the other side of the summer break, um, a chap I know called Naira Chamberlain is going to come and give a talk, which is um, on mathematical modeling from a different perspective. He works as a, in sort of operational research. Um, so that's quite fun. There seems, there's quite a lot going on with that. We seem to get, I think we get about eight talks a year, eight to ten talks a year. And then um, during the summer break, we're, I think we've challenged the West Midlands branch of the IMA to uh, a Skittles evening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, in a pub in Leicestershire, they have these big, long Skittles alleys with uh, you throw a wooden ball at some, some wooden Skittles. And uh, we're going to go and challenge them. Not, not that either group is any good at this, I don't think. <laughs> and there's talk of a joint trip to Bletchley Park uh, with the West Midlands branch as well. And also the IMA has a, an early career mathematicians group which is, I suppose, IMA members in the first 10 or 15 years of their career. Um, and there's talk of, of all these groups getting together and going to Bletchley Park, which is where the UK's code-breaking effort happened during World War II. Um, so it's where Alan Turing worked, and it's where, I mean, in some sense, you know, early computing took place. And, uh, and certainly, you know, mathematicians and, I think, mathematicians and crossword solvers <laughs> and linguists <laughs> together and, and tried to crack German codes during the war and did a you know a very good job of it. So that's that still exists, that's there as a museum now. Um, and I think we're gonna go along and for a day trip, which I'm really pleased about because I've never been. Um, I've been to an, I've been near it uh, for a conference, but it was it, the conference was uh, it was active entirely while the place was open. So I just didn't have the opportunity to go along and have a look. So I'm quite pleased with that if, if that's gonna happen. Uh, so, I mean, I guess there's quite a lot going on, but I mean, the audience, you know, the average man on the street sort of thing is um, perhaps less engaged with that sort of thing than, than it might seem. Yeah, I, I can easily see how it's just self-selection bias. I don't see the man on the street uh, over there, and I see the man on the street here, so I just assume the cool math things I see on the internet is all that's going on. Yes. <laughs> yes. That and really interesting games of football. Uh, <laughs> Now, uh, there's one last thing I, I want to ask you, and this is something that I ask every uh, mathematician and math person that I have on here that, who has a Twitter, and I will continue to do it because I am obsessed with the platform. Uh, what what made you decide uh, to join uh, Twitter and to 
start talking about math on it because that is what you do. Uh, yeah, I noticed you asked this question to. Um, I, I, I asked the chap's name, Div, Div every, by Zero. I heard you ask him it earlier. Oh, Dave a, Richardson. Yeah. Dave Richardson. Yes. Um, I think I follow him on Twitter. <laughs> I, well, I don't know. I I remember. I definitely. Well, I I remember that I'd heard of Twitter quite a long time before I actually tried it. Um, I suppose for I sort of heard about it for about a year because I because I do I mean this job I do at Nottingham is is sort of learning technology. I listen to a lot of a bit you know a few technology podcasts and things like that, and people are talking about Twitter, but it sort of seemed a bit um, small scale, I suppose. And then suddenly it just erupted and. Stephen Fry started using it and all this sort of thing. So I, I suddenly it was in every newspaper article and everything. And I thought, well, I'll, perhaps I'll go along and have a look because I, I suppose I, it's, it's sort of related to the question of why keep a blog because I started keeping a blog when I started working for the IMA, and I mean really, I, I, the IMA is a charity, and it's a members' organisation. So there are five thousand members, and it's their money that's paying for me. So I want people to be able to find out. You know, keep track of what I'm doing to be able to talk to me if if they want to, and so on and so forth. Um, so this is why I started keeping the blog, and this is why I started using Twitter because I thought it'd be an interesting experiment. I think I wrote an article on my blog um, in February 2009 that said I'm going to try Twitter for a trial period, <laughs> and I didn't have a a point where I evaluated that trial and decided to carry on. <laughs> but I still seem to be doing it. So, but I, actually, as I've got into it, I'm using it more. Uh, I, I think less for sort of engagement with members and more for particularly I follow a lot of people um, in mathematics promotion and in education uh, a lot of sort of educational technology type people and things like that so I I think I get a lot about a lot out of it I'm I think it's the main way I find out what's going on <laughs> but particularly in niche topics that aren't on the television news you know and the, you watch I watch the BBC but there aren't a lot of maths or education or educational technology type stories on there so I find it really useful for for that and it's yeah it's it's i think i've got quite a lot out of it in in the time i've been using it and certainly going to carry on doing so um but as to why i started i think i'm just that sort of person who tends to try out new things oh, well <laughs> why well, did you start enough. have you answered that <laughs> oh, oh uh i started using it back in 2007 i right. want to say uh because i'm an absolute geek for new technology <laughs> yes i i didn't use it much then i started using it a lot a couple of years ago, and I mostly use it for uh, following comedy types. Yeah. Okay. Because I think I don't know what it's like over there. There's a perception. There's a lot of a lot of people make jokes about Twitter that it's all, you know, I made myself a cup of tea and now I'm going for a walk kind of stuff. And I I very deliberately don't do that sort of thing. I don't post. I'll post that I'm going to go and give a talk somewhere, but I don't I don't use it for sort of everyday life things. And the other thing is, I think a lot of people are on Twitter to follow people who they think are interesting. And I guess I don't do that so much either. I tend to do, I tend to follow people and people that sort of talk both ways, I think. Um, but I find, uh, for a while I was, I, I had some people who I followed and I read everything that they posted. And now it's just got ridiculous because I have sufficient people on there that, you know, every minute there are eight new tweets to read or something like that so now i use it far more as a dip in service and i think it's really interesting because you sort of just get a sudden snapshot of what's going on particularly um i don't know how aware you'll be but we we have a new government in this country um yes today <laughs> so last night um there's this arcane thing of, of 
David Cameron went to the palace and the Queen asked him to form a government because it's still a monarchy over here, uh, and this is how it works. And um, so I was I was on Twitter last night watching what people had to say about it at the same time as watching the news, uh, sort of glued to this ridiculous helicopter following David Cameron's car thing <laughs> that they did. <laughs> and uh, I think I just think it's really interesting to just sort of dip into it and find out what people what people are saying about different topics. Yeah. Okay, well, I want to thank you so much for uh, jumping on Skype and talking to me for these past 30 minutes or so. (laughs) And here is where we're going to call it quits for another episode of Strongly Connected Components. If you want to get in contact with me, leave me any feedback, or perhaps suggest a guest that I should possibly maybe want to talk to for this show that you all love so much, please email me over at samuel at acmescience.com. That is the same email address that I give to my family, and they don't email me there either. So, why don't you email me? So I can at least have something to do in between recording these episodes. This episode, as they always are, is released under Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license, so please feel free to take any of the audio, remix it, as long as you say that I was the one who originally recorded it. The music is a Creative Commons licensed song that I got from SP12 over at opsound.org. The intro music, though, is from Hard and Firm, the song Pie off of their debut album, Horses and Grasses. So I want to thank you once again for listening and hop on over to acmescience.com to find links about this episode as well as all of our previous episodes and information about combinations and permutations, the Jerry Springer to this show's Maury. Sorry, that isn't a really good descriptor, but I don't think anyone listens this far down into the outro anyway. I hope you have a wonderful week.